Yanna, yanna, mga kumeta, kamusta kayo dyan? <laughs> Sa pao na talaga ako, to be honest. Kakatapos lang natin itong mahabang paper. Kakatapos lang natin, natin ng isang mahabang paper sa Thailand. At uh, kakatapos lang natin isang pang mahabang paper. Kaya medyo sabaw tayo. But I'll try to give you a tsaka, at least, uh, ay wala na, nabulol na. At least an overview, no? Uh, ng mga upcoming elections in the coming days. So over the weekend, mga kameta, magkakaroon tayo ng mga big-time elections. Arguably, the two most consequential elections of 2023. We're looking at elections in two countries, Turkey, Turkia, and Thailand. Thailand, no? Uh, at itong dalawang bansa na yan ay interesting because they're both important in their own ways, in their own region. But because they're also very similar to the Philippines, no? May sarili din silang version ng mga tatay, no? Yun isa, tatay taxin at saka si tatay ano. O, alam niyo na yan. So, pag-usapan natin ng konti yan because I'm, I'm thinking about doing a proper analysis of each of these countries in the coming days as I also write on them separately and analyze them in a more, in a less vlogger way, in a more serious way, no? So, medyo, sorry, sabaw tayo, kaya... Um, I'm just going to keep this short. Now, one reason why si Tatay Digong ay never special or surprising sa akin is because for a very long time, mga kameta, I've been analyzing the rise of two strongmen populists in the two extreme sides or two sides of Asia. No, One was Rajiv Tayyip Ardawan who rose to power actually in the 1990s and by the mid-2000s was already the Prime Minister of Turkey and then over the past decade he also managed to make himself the President of Turkey you know, through his very important AK Party, Justice and Development Party or AKP. But someone else that actually I felt is even more familiar to us as Filipinos is Taksin Shinawat. You know, and Taksin Shinawat is an interesting figure because uh, he's oligarch and at the same time strong and populist and then at some points he's also kind of a uh you know so my pocket my Arab, my villiard my b9 my tatay digong there are all of those elements rolled into one as far as taxing is concerned very interesting figure so so someone who's uh entrepreneur very successful entrepreneur so there's an aspect of say man v uh when he ran for elections uh back in 2010 and then there's the aspect of kind of a man of the people populist so there's kind of an Arab binai aspect to him but he was also a strongman strongman populist especially we'll discuss his drug war which make him in my opinion very very similar uh very very similar to to uh tatay digong no in fact, it's the opposite way because Tatay Digong became Tatay Digong as we know him, the kind of president of the Philippines, a consequential figure, way after these two other gentlemen, Ardoan and Taksin, were already well entrenched in the politics of their countries. No? Now, similar time lahat because actually my term for all our countries is what I call emerging market democracies. No? Uh, we are all countries that have had experience relatively above average growth rates in recent memory. Uh, and also we have had relatively competitive elections in recent memory. So there's a democratic mandate that goes with rapid economic growth. But in all of our countries, we also see really the retreat or assault on liberal democracy, you know, and also a big element of democracy fatigue. In fact, in all three countries, we also see middle class, you know, the middle class 
more and more sympathetic to more authoritarian or strongman leaders or illiberal form of politics because especially this is the case in Thailand and increasingly we also see in the Philippines there's a fascination with kind of decisive strongman authoritarian means precisely because there is a disaffection with uh, business as usual politics no pag-usapan natin yan very shortly because I'll, I'll, I'll have to make a special vlog on this makameta this is very very interesting pag-usapan natin yan wait i'm just trying to bring out yung so for a very long time makameta i've been writing on the rise of this uh, strongman populists in what i call emerging market populist nations no uh, in fact I lost count, but there are at least three or four academic papers that I came, that I I, I uh, wrote. Um, nung bago palang si Paolong Digong, no? so for instance, you can look at this ascent of strong Asian strongman emerging market populism, and revolt against Asian uh, against liberal globalization. At saka itong isa pa penal populism in major markets with Cambridge University Press. So these are a number of articles I've had makamet na sinulat natin. So, ito. so for instance, here in this article, actually it's a book chapter, uh, Ascent of Asian Strongman, Emerging Market Populism and the Revolution. So here, I didn't discuss all So you'll see I discussed India, Indonesia, Turkey. Uh, Thailand, of course, is very important because Taksin Shinawat also had a lot to say and a lot to gain during the Asian financial crisis in terms of this not only his political career, but what some would also say his businesses, no? Uh, again, we need a different podcast on that or um, proper discussion on that, Mahakameta. And then, of course, speaking of the emerging market democracies term, uh, this was a work I did for Cambridge University Press not long ago when I look at the advent of penal populism. Now, penal populism, I think, is far more relevant in the case of Thailand uh, in comparison to the Philippines than Turkey. So I think Turkey has a far more humane approach to dealing with the drug problem than the Philippines. No, even though Turkey has been a transit for, uh, if I'm not mistaken, heroin no, from Afghanistan and from the east towards Europe, at is based on some of the studies and all. But Turkey never adopted the kind of brutal, extrajudicial killing driven approach to drugs. But we saw that in Thailand, which I'll discuss very shortly. So ito yung mga works natin throughout the year. So hindi lang tayo nagpapakute ngayon, na hindi lang yung ngayon lang na-feel ko na pag-usapan ito. No, no, no. I've been writing on these things from a scholarly standpoint for quite some time. And personally, I've been fascinated with the rise of these figures for quite some time. Fascinated not in terms of a fanboy way, but fascinated with how fragile democracies are and fascinated with how people seem to just fall on, you know, atavistic instincts uh, whenever there's any inkling of uncertainty, you know. Now, and fascinated also by the fact of how similar our countries are actually, you know, um, these different countries I'm discussing. Now, ibang usapan na si Modi or Jokowi, we, have, we need to have a different conversation on that. Modi itself, India itself is another completely different topic. It's a huge topic I want to approach. Now, speaking of taxing, for instance, the reason why I said it's very familiar to us Filipinos, unfortunately, is that his war on drugs, which allegedly also claimed thousands of lives, is something that is eerily familiar if you look at the Tatay version of war on drugs. In fact, one would suspect that Tatay, 
uh, approach to the war on drugs may have been inspired by the Taksin approach to war on drugs. So this is an article by Bangkok Post a decade ago, which talked about, I mean, exact, almost exactly a decade ago, which talked about Taksin's war on drugs as a crime against humanity. And the term of crimes against humanity should be very familiar to us because that's also one of the cases that was being considered against the former president in the Philippines as far as the International Criminal Court uh, is concerned. Now, I'm not sure Taksin was brought to the ICC or there's an ICC case against him. I don't think about, I don't think so. But if you talk to people who already are, are very familiar with Thai politics and what Taksin was doing in terms of dealing with the war on drugs here, there's really an eerie level of familiarity there and echoes there. Now with Erdogan, it's quite interesting because when er Erdogan naman also has some, uh, should have some familiarity uh, to us because he, similar to Tatay Digong, his rise to the pinnacle of power was because of his perceived, I want to say perceived because this is debatable, perceived success as a local government official. Particularly when he was the mayor of Istanbul. Similar to Tatay Digong, when Erdogan was in power, he dealt with what you call, we can call low-hanging fruits. For instance, cleaning up the drainage system or something like that, or sewage system in, in Istanbul, or making sure that it's uh, you know, yung kalakaran pagdating sa processing of small and medium enterprises or for instance mass effective yung uh, uh, public transportation system i mean but you know it's, it's not like Erdogan was super transformational leader but he did the basics things that his former more liberal leaning predecessors in Istanbul were not doing and then from there he built uh, a platform and made it to the next level now what's fascinating mahmed i forgot i forgot the turkish way of saying it but when he was running for the top office, and this were a very contentious time, we, we'll discuss Turkey separately or Turkey separately. But speaking of Turkey, when Erdogan was running for office, actually, one of his slogans was, He's one of us. No? Now, as you know, see, Erdogan comes from the rough neighborhood, parang something like Tondo of Istanbul. And he kind of ran against the so-called white Turks. Ito yung mga westernized, cosmopolitan, sometimes literally more white-looking Turks in Istanbul. No? Uh, Western-looking, EU-looking, etc. And, and the way he rallied support for himself, especially among the middle classes and the masses in Turkey and the so-called... Um, um, oh, there's, there's, there's a term for the new conservative middle class that was behind him. Anatolian Tigers, all right? So, it's small and medium enterprises. A lot of them later on will scale up. A lot of our Zara, a lot of basic brands, textiles, we know a lot of electronics in, in Europe that are produced by the so-called Anatolian Tiger uh, businesses, no? which are really centered in the Anatolian regions, uh, export-oriented, manufacturing Anatolian regions of Turkey. We can talk about that more. Now, I'm discussing this a lot because actually I gave a uh, book talk about Duterte in Istanbul a few years ago with folks at the Koch University. And we had many fascinating discussions, including also the troll culture that both sides share. You know? uh, and some of the academics I met there actually were also big victims of trolling, big time victims of uh, trolling. So many interesting things. But Jung, he's one of us, very similar to Atento Pre. So I don't know, if my, involve, my involvement in Cambridge Analytica, yung Cambridge Analytica may natuto dun sa campaign ni, ano, ni Ardoan. I don't know, but let's see. That's a very interesting uh, similarity I saw. Like, hmm, he's one of us, Atento Pre, you know, in campaigning Tatay, but hmm, very, very similar, you know? All right. 
Now, but as I say, when it comes to policy, I see far more similarity in terms of controversial policy when it comes, if, if you look at the tax in war on drugs, you know, which the Bangkok Post uh, actually uh, uh, characterized as a crimes against humanity because we're talking about thousands of lives potentially lost there. You know, this, is a, this is a very serious issue. Uh, now, speaking of Thailand and Turkey, of course, in both countries, we have a very, very competitive elections, but competitive in different ways. The one in, in, uh, in Turkey is competitive in a more, let's say, conventional sense of the word. So in Turkey, it's really down to two, office, uh, two figures, right? So you have Rajiv Tayyip Erdogan on one hand, but on the other hand, you have the leader of the opposition, no? I have to, let me get the... I want to check the latest polls. Because actually, based on some polls, the opposition is ahead. And what's interesting here is that the opposition only fielded one primary candidate. So it's not like five, six, seven running against BBM or something like that. No, no, no. no. There's really only one primary candidate that half a dozen opposition groups had to come together and to elect. And yun yung parati ko sinasabi, mga kameta. Yun yung kulang sa ating Pilipinas. Walang coalition-based politics. Tapos minsan makikita mo yung mga opposition, sabay-sabay sila tumatakbo, tapos against each other pa sila. So you have this, even accusations of some of them being, you know, like just, you know, like a kunyari fake opposition, but actually a front or, or kind of helping the other one. So uh, we're, so it's Kemal Kilic Duruglu, Okay, I have to get the Turkish accent correctly. So Kemal Kilic Duruglu. So this is from the CHP party. This is the party that kind of goes back to their uh, to Ataturk, the, the kind of a founding father of Turkey. So Kilic Duruglu actually is leading some of the surveys. We were look, but it's very, very, very slight, young lead. Uh, remember, Turkey is presidential parliamentary. So you have both parliamentary and you have presidential elections. And then the AK, AK Party is also facing quite an uh, intense also challenge from the other side, Mahometa. So it's, it's quite an interesting setup that we're, we're, we're seeing here, no? All right, so Kirish Duloglu, uh, I think he was a former finance minister and also has a background in economics. He's like, he's kind of like Derleni, right? <laughs> like economist background, super nice, right? Super non, you know, offensive. Sobrang mabait. Tapos love, love, love. Tingnan mo yan. In fact, remember, dun sa podcast natin, nakausap natin isa sa mga Lenin, eh, yung mga isang insider sa kampanya Lenin. Di ba? Sabi nila yung radical love kinuha sa Turkey yan. Right? So, Kirish Duruglu, in many ways, kind of, is that kind of love, 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 radical love candidate. Except, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. He's the candidate of united opposition. Not just pink opposition or something like that. And that's why he has a very good chance of winning this. Not to mention Erdogan has been in power for quite some time. He doesn't have the kind of vigor and momentum he has had. But there's still big questions about whether Erdogan is really defeatable because there's also a question whether he'll accept any defeat down the road. And we saw time and again that Erdogan was able to mobilize his supporters. A lot of, again, we can have a separate vlog on this, but to cut the story short, Erdogan is a, sur a survival literally survival of a coup in 2016 that almost killed him 
and also survival of multiple attempts by the military and the judiciary to get uh, to go against him. The Argenekon trial, the Supreme Court case against him, the so-called deep state. Mahabang usapan yan. But one reason why Turkey and Thailand are seen as political twins or siblings, they look very different as countries on, on the outside. But they're actually very similar. Both countries have a deep history of a politicized military and multiple coups. No? Thailand, Turkey. I'll just show this article that I think is very important. So, two very similar countries, two export-oriented countries, besieger beleaguered liberal democracies, both in the shadow of very, very charismatic and controversial leaders. Both of them are going are heading into elections. No, although Turkey kind of has more international profile nowadays because you know Turkey is a you know big economy, trillion dollar economy, much bigger than Thailand's, twice bigger, and Erdogan has been kind of a fixture of global politics in ways that no contemporary type politician is. I mean, Priot, you know, who knows about Priot here? And Priot, you know, uh, as far as their current incumbent is concerned, I'm not sure. He really played an important role, uh, aside from being kind of a spoiler on dealing with the with the Myanmar issue. No, so I took an article that I want you guys to read, uh, so you can see where I'm coming from in terms of similarity between Thailand and Turkey. Very fascinating, very interesting. Now, in the case of Turkey, it's really head to head, and it's pretty clear in a sense of, you know, we should really watch out which of the two will win. In the case of Thailand, it's much more complicated because you're talking about uh, parliamentary elections. And in the case of Thailand, there are two ways to look at the elections. So on one hand, the elections is really about whether the Poi Thai Party, PTP, uh, led by Thaksin from behind the scenes through his daughter is really the next one. So Thaksin Shinawa's daughter is one of the top candidates to become the next prime minister and the Poi Thai Party, the PTP Party of, of, of Thaksin is uh, in a good position to win close to half of the parliamentary seats up for grabs. Um, so we're looking at around 500 seats up for grabs, if I'm not mistaken. Um, constituent seats and uh, party seats, no? Major separately. Constituent seats, I think 400, party seats 100, something like that. Now, Poitai Party wants to win around 310 seats in order to have the secure majority to form the next government. Uh, but many are questioning whether the surveys are reliable. So Baka, we're looking at them winning something around 200, 250, etc. But the thing is, we the, the, the Thai election is very fluid because there are many other players and potential kingmakers. One of the kingmakers, and this is where there is a more progressive and uplifting side to the Thai politics, is that there's a future, uh, there's, there's a move forward party I think you named me a future forward part, which is led by a very charismatic young leader, you know, uh, Harvard-educated young guy, super progressive, really fighting for the middle class. Very interesting. Okay, to put in, to simplify it, they already have a Vico Soto in the race, right? They already have a Vico Soto in the race, okay? So there's like a Vico Soto and slash Nancy Binai in the race, if I could put it that way, you know? So Union Young face race, John Selections. I doubt the Vico one has a chance here, but his party is looking to win around 100 seats. So if they manage to win between 80 to 100 seats and they got a surge in the past uh, week or so, then they could be a junior partner and potential kingmaker. Now, there are other kingmakers that I can discuss, the incumbent health minister and commerce minister. 
we can discuss that. Uh, people who are quite similar to Tahsin, controversial, entrepreneurial backgrounds, you know, Thai also in terms of their ethnic background. We can discuss that more. But, but the question here is whether the party of Tahsin can get the 310 seats. And if they don't get that, with whom will they face, with, will they form a coalition? Will it be with the more progressive move forward party or will it be with the current deputy prime minister who split from Prayat? Because the conservative side is also now divided because the deputy prime minister was temporarily the prime minister, kind of had his own ideas of his own. By the way, they're both generals, the current prime minister and I mean, ex-generals of the current prime minister Prayat and the deputy prime minister. Both of them are former generals. Now they're also split. They're running against each other. And the current deputy prime minister is open to form a coalition with Taksin Shinawat's daughter. But the vehicle guy here in this race from the Move Forward Party is not open to form a coalition with the other side, but is open to form a coalition with the Poitai Party. So this coalition politics will be extremely important. Where is the, this going to go? And then the wild card also is when will Taksin return? Because Taksin has already indicated he will return to the country. But you know, that will create another chaos because he's essentially persona non grata. And even if his daughter wins and Taksin comes back and that threatens the military, etc., then again, they could go back to the cycle of coups and counter coups and all the instability. So that's why the race in Thailand is a little bit trickier. Now, Siguro, if Pasef Sila Taksin, they'll form a coalition with the current deputy prime minister who comes from the conservative pro-military side. That's why some are saying this race is not really about democracy and autocracy. This race is really about whether the Taksin can, you know, maneuver the way back with the most pragmatic, reasonable, and some would even say opportunistic Game of Thrones kind of coalition. Or is Taksin's daughter going to form a coalition with the future forward party and move in a more opposition, liberal, progressive direction? That That's an interesting prospect because I think if that coalition moves forward, it will have huge implications for Myanmar issue because Thailand currently is much more sympathetic to Myanmar under its pro-military government than any other founding member of ASEAN. It will have implication also for US-China competition because Pryat, although over uh, ruling over a US ally, is actually very close to China. It is also going to have implications for free trade, climate change, human rights issues, and Burmese exile. So maraming pwede natin pag-usapan here, mga kameta. Anyway, what I'm trying to do here is this. Sana may pakigayo sa mga elections na nangyari na mahalaga sa mundo. Hindi lang sa elections sa Pilipinas or elections lang sa Amerika. Wala na may elections sa China. You know, and you know what I'm saying? The reason why is because, the reason is simple. Hindi tayo Norway, hindi tayo France, hindi tayo, okay, New Zealand. Alright? Wag tayo, ano, wag tayo mag-ambisyon. Alright? We're not there yet. We're far from that. But, if we properly analyze what's happening in Thailand and Turkey, which I think are far more similar to us, then we can figure out how to push the Philippines in the right direction. That's precisely what, I mean, this comparative perspective is precisely why I never had any problem with understanding where Duterte is coming from, where the Duterte regime could go, and why I was totally unsurprised when Marcos won. In fact, I called it in last year, the 2021 November, that Marcos is going to win it. Because... What's happening in the Philippines is actually not very unique, mga kameta. We could even argue that what's happening in the Philippines is what was happening in Thailand, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, right? And I also see many parallels between Turkish politics and the Philippine politics, despite the super dissimilarities on many, many other levels. 
if you have an understanding and appreciation of structural analysis, if you have a basic appreciation of proper comparative analysis, Mahameta, you will not have a hard time understanding Philippine politics. You will not force yourself into illusions about Philippine politics. You will understand Philippine politics on its own terms, precisely because the Philippine politics is very similar in many significant ways to what's happening in Indonesia, India, Turkey, Thailand, so on and so forth. All of us are emerging markets, and all of us have beleaguered democracies or semi-democracies. And this is something that we have to keep in mind. is because I want you guys to develop a sense of appreciation of comparative analysis. It's fun to watch American elections. It's fun to watch who's up, who's down, what's the latest with Trump, what's the latest with all of those shenanigans there in U.S. policy. Okay, fine. I mean, U.S. is big and important, given the end. But to be honest, hindi masyadong relevant U.S. atin because ang layo ng political system nila sa atin compared to, let's say, Thailand or Turkey or I would even say Indonesia and India are even more comparatively sensible uh, for any analysis of the Philippines. As one Yale political scientist said, if you know only one country, you know no country. It's only when you know multiple countries quite intimately, that's where you can make proper comparative analysis. And yun po yung kultura na kulang sa atin. Ayoko mang mayabang. But to be honest, I saw very few so-called political analysts around who really bother to do proper political analysis. The few ones I know are very good friends of mine, and they tend to come from younger generation. Wait, lang. did I just forget the names? I'm, so I'm a horrible person. He doesn't have a message. Ko lang sa like, let, let me recommend some good friends to do very good Philippine Thailand comparative analysis. Not Turkey. I do more of the Turkey myself. But now, I mean, now, in the meantime, like that's one thing I like about Lelo is because he bothers to also do comparative analysis and he's open to comparative analysis. But we have. <laughs> Wait lang. Nasaan na? Oh my god. Sa, sa dami mga Thai names na nasa mind ko. And and I had to get the Kirish Duruglu, the the Turkish ano. Medyo nawala yung mga Pinoy na baka na sa akin. Wait lang. Ah. Uh, Basta hindi hindi kasi kaibigan ko to. <laughs> to I just I'll, I'll I'll just send you their their no, no, I have very good friends who are doing actually Thai Philippine politics comparison. Please follow them on 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 Twitter uh, and uh, please ano please uh, ayan na <laughs> wala na no, no no I mean, we na interview pa nga natin yung iba eh. um yeah so anyway in the meantime si Lelo yung muna isipin no but there are many younger Filipino political scientists who are doing a lot of comparative analysis so I really really appreciate that and please lang please lang don't pull off this thing you don't need to learn completely Turkish, Thai, or Arabic, whatever, to do some of this proper comparative analysis. To be honest, sometimes the problem with people who are too much specialists is that they lose perspective, they, they lack theoretical frameworks, no? or they don't appreciate generalizations or reasonable sense. And they're so obsessed with their case study. That's why a lot of China experts, I, they get China so wrong. A lot of so-called China experts didn't see Xi Jinping coming, to be honest. I, I met a lot of them throughout the years. And the funny thing is the more generalist saw Xi Jinping coming, right? Those who don't have language proficiency expertise in China. Because when you're so invested in a case study, it tends to create blinders and biases. Now, well, when you're generalist, you look at common patterns, so it's easier for you to do forecasting. Now, hindi kayo naniwala sa akin, basahin niyo yung book na Super Forecasters. It's a fantastic book about how foxes will always beat the hedgehog. 
And as I said, we have to be a fox when we analyze things. We look at patterns, we look at similarities, and we don't get overinvested in one big theory or one country alone. All right? Uh, yes. All right. Sorry, now some of friends that. No, this is just a tip of. This is the what classic tip of the tongue phenomenon. There are a number of names on the tip of my tongue. I want. I want to say like. But anyway, uh, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I know marami sa inyo sinasabi na nampakiko sa mga ibang country nyan. Pilipinas lang isipin ko But I'm telling you, makameta. If you want to understand Philippines, you have to understand more than the Philippines alone. Or please lang, wag lang US. Malaya tayo sa US. All the Trump tatay, all of that. Given nyan. But you know what I'm saying? U.S. has institutions. We don't in any real sense of the word. Thailand also doesn't have... When I say institution, I'm talking about rule of law. Thailand doesn't have that. Turkey doesn't have that. India doesn't have that. Indonesia doesn't have that, right? Complete rule of law. So, that's what I'm saying, Mahometa. There are countries that we have to... They are the countries that we have to pay more attention to. All right? And yes, they have Tatai-style politics, just like us. No, actually, one top person I'll suggest is Cleve Argueles. Um, who I think is, his PhD right now is focused on Philippine Thailand populism. Yeah, he's definitely one of the guys you guys have, you have to watch. And I look forward to also interviewing him again. We had discussions before. So there are a lot of comparativists coming out there. So pay attention more to these people. Hindi yung mga alam lang nila yung mga barangay politics sa Pilipinas. Alam lang nila sinong kamaritas ni tatay, sinong kaganyan ni BBM. Yung mga ganyan type analysts, they cannot see beyond two years. Right? They cannot even see what's happening. They only know what are continuities in the Philippines, but they cannot analyze these junctures because they cannot. They don't have much knowledge about comparative countries. Now, no offense to these people. These people are very useful, especially for me, because they help me to better understand the Philippines per se. But you cannot understand where Philippines is and, and or is heading unless you understand similar countries to us. And to understand which countries are similar to us, you also have to have a sufficient level of basic knowledge of a wide range of countries all around the world. And for me, the best comparativist ana analyst and a public thinker today without a question is Adam Tooze, right? He's another person I want you guys to follow because he's a person who can talk about German politics, who can talk about Iranian politics, who can talk about Turkish politics. With, Of course, he's, he's more specialist on Germany given then, but he knows just enough about multiple countries to make reasonable comparison and all. All right? So these are people I really suggest for you guys to check. Maraming salamat. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, and uh, talk to you soon.